Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Three Days with Jesus. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January the 15th, 2017. The Gospel of John for this week begins with that mysterious prologue about Jesus, the eternal Word of God, the light and life of the world. Not that any of this was obvious back then or made sense to anybody. Our dark world, says John, did not understand the light. It didn't recognize or receive him. And so we might say contemporary skepticism should not be so smug. After this prologue about Jesus, the Gospel continues with a preamble about John. As they often do, the religious authorities, who viewed themselves as the gatekeepers to God, were very unhappy about the reports that they had heard about some religious zealot who was baptizing throngs of people in the Jordan River, and doing that without their knowledge or permission. So they sent a delegation to ask him who he was. John the baptizer issued an emphatic triple disclaimer. He reads, he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed. No, I am not the Christ. I'm not Elijah, nor the prophet. The inquisitors were flummoxed. They needed a better answer to take back to Jerusalem. Well, if that's the case, why are you baptizing people, performing an official rite when you have no official sanction? Who do you think you are? What do you say about yourself? You're asking the wrong question, John replied. The real question isn't about me, but about him. I'm just a lonely voice in the wilderness, pointing everyone to this man so that all people might believe. I'm not worthy to lick his boots. And to be honest, just like you and all the world, I myself did not know him, and I would not have known him were it not for the descent of God's Spirit like a dove onto this man. But that's what happened. That's what I saw and heard. And so now I testify that this man is God's Son. The Gospel then pivots to what I call three days with Jesus. I say this because in the next two pages of his gospel, there are several obvious timestamps. After his clash with the institutional authorities from Jerusalem, John says that the next day he saw Jesus, the one he had just been talking about, the one he hadn't known or really understood the one he had baptized in the Jordan and on whom he saw the Spirit of God descend, the one about whom he now testified. After this, we read a second time, the next day he again encountered Jesus, 
this time with the brothers Andrew and Simon Peter. John writes that they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, or four o'clock in the afternoon. And what a day! Andrew and Peter, we read, followed Jesus. And in turn, Jesus renamed Peter the Rock, the man who would deny even knowing him. And then a third time, the next day, another set of brothers, Philip and Nathaniel, encountered Jesus, who issued them an invitation, follow me. It was on this third day that Jesus performed his first public miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Exactly who is this one they put their faith in and followed? In the first two pages of John, Jesus was already many things. Word of God, the unique or only begotten Son of his Father, light and life in a world of darkness and death. Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the man endowed with God's Spirit and the Son of God. Both friends and enemies called him a rabbi teacher. Most people remembered him as the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's the long-awaited Jewish Christ, Messiah, or Anointed One. The one written about long ago by Moses and the prophets. He's the King of Israel, a light to the Gentiles, and the Son of all humanity. The Apostle Paul calls him Lord five times in the first nine verses of his letter to the Corinthians. In these three days, Jesus speaks for the first time in John's Gospel. When Andrew and his friend asked him where he was staying, Jesus said, Come and see. And so they did, spending the day and perhaps that night with Jesus. They were so taken by that day with Jesus that the first thing Andrew did, writes John, was to find his brother Peter and say the same thing, come and see. The next day, Philip found his brother Nathaniel and repeated the invitation, come and see. John is unapologetic. He writes for a reason. He wants to convert us, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He is, in the end, what Mary Gordon calls in her book, Reading Jesus, the irresistible, incomprehensible. And so she observes the radical challenge of Jesus, Perhaps everything we think in order to know ourselves as comfortable citizens of a predictable world is wrong. For books this week, we have a guest book review by Carrie Leroy. 
Carrie Leroy reviews a book called Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption. The author of the book is Brian Stevenson, New York, Spiegel and Grau, 2015, 368 pages. This memoir by the civil rights lawyer Brian Stevenson is a powerful and important indictment of our racially biased and often unjust criminal justice system. Stevenson is an African-American grandson of slaves who was raised in relative poverty in Delaware, attended college, earned a law degree from Harvard Law School, and who has focused most of his legal career on representing people of color on death row. He is also the founder and executive director of what's called the Equal Justice Initiative, EJI, in Montgomery, Alabama, which focuses on addressing excessive and unfair sentencing, exonerating innocent death row prisoners, ending the abuse of the incarcerated and the mentally ill, and advocating on behalf of children who are prosecuted as adults. Stevenson is well known in the civil rights legal community for his advocacy before the U.S. Supreme Court, winning rulings that the mandatory life without parole sentences for all children 17 or younger are unconstitutional and that the death penalty is cruel and unusual punishment, and thus unconstitutional under the Eighth Amendment, when applied to children. Currently a professor of law at the New York University School of Law, Stevenson is also involved in high-profile public works to raise awareness of the history of lynching, slavery, and racial segregation in the United States. This memoir, Just Mercy, delves deep into the experiences of incarcerated African-American and Latino-American children, and, <coughs> in particular, one wrongfully con convicted African-American who narrowly avoided capital punishment. Stevenson focuses on individual cases of injustice against a backdrop of a significant increase in the mass incarceration of people of color in the United States. The prison population grew by 700% from 1970 to 2005, and the incarceration rates disproportionately impact color, men of color. One in every 15 African American men and one in every 36 Hispanic men are incarcerated in comparison to one in every 106 white men. An African-American male born in 2001 has a one in three chance of serving time in prison in his lifetime. Stevenson brings these kind of statistics to life by exploring the often devastating factors that lead to criminal conduct and the disparate impact of the criminal justice system on people of color. He argues that the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but justice.
Stevenson bears witness to the repeated administration of injustice against minorities, none of whom has the means to hire the kind of criminal defense teams that are typically reserved for the wealthy in our country. Stephen successfully advocates for many of his clients, but his victories are somewhat muted. Not so much celebratory moments as rather moments of reflection. An African-American client held on death row for a crime that he did not commit is released. But what is the victory in narrow, narrowly escaping oppression? And in this man's case, losing six years of his life to death row. How many innocent people are sitting on death row today as a result of racial bias and just not enough mercy or money? Stevenson invites his readers to consider the underpinnings of a criminal justice system that produced time and again unjust outcomes for people of color. Black Lives Matter. It needs to be repeated again and again like a mantra for those of us who have never had the experience of being stopped or assaulted by the police on the basis of our skin color. Or worse, lost an innocent brother, father, or son to police brutality and misconduct. Just Mercy highlights the evidence that our criminal justice is built on pillars of racial bias and asks us to question and protest the implicit assumption underlying the disproportionate condemnation of people of color that they do not matter. The poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the mentally ill all need mercy and the colorblind equal administration of justice. Stevenson contends that the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. He confronts us with the reality that, as a nation, we have largely given up on the condemned. The hope of rehabilitation has given way to a punitive approach, a narrative that favors harsh punishment, retribution, and letting fear dictate policy. Just mercy suggests that the result is extreme institutionalized racial injustice. The book, however, is more than a chronicle of injustice. It also explores the possibility of redemption. If we are feeling stuck in a divisive place in time, where all we can see are our differences, Stevenson reminds us that there is no wholeness outside of our reciprocal humanity. That means seeing the humanity of the individual oppressor as well and never giving up hope for a change of heart, a shift from condemnation, anger, and judgment to mercy. Persistent hope for ourselves and each other. Just Mercy provides its readers with both important questions and answers to help us to recognize and strive to end racial injustice and to believe that, as divided and different as we might appear, we may all find wholeness through understanding, 
or attempting to understand the sources of pain and injury from which divisions arise and injustice is born. The author of this book, once again, is Brian Stevenson. The title, Just Mercy, a guest book review by Carrie Leroy. For movies this week, I review a disturbing film called The Hunting Ground from 2015. This movie documents the disturbing epidemic of sexual violence on our college campuses. And epidemic is the right word. This year, about 100,000 women will be sexually assaulted at college. About 88% of them will never report the incident. The reasons for this have now become familiar shaming and blaming the victim, threats, retaliation, intimidation. Worst of all, as girl after girl explains in this film, university officials are either dismissive of their stories or actively complicit in covering up the problem. For them, reports about sexual violence aren't a moral or legal problem. They're a public relations threat to their branding and fundraising. In 2014, for example, 45% of colleges reported zero sexual assaults on their campuses. At Stanford, between 1996 and 2013, there were 259 reports of sexual assault in exactly one expulsion. And what about college presidents? 95% of them say that their institutions handle sexual assault reports in an appropriate way. This film interviews a broad array of witnesses to this epidemic. A clinical psychologist who's an expert on the subject, professors and deans at university, and a college security officer who quit because of his university's anemic response to sexual violence. But what really drives this movie are the very brave young women who relate their experiences of sexual violence and of what they are now doing on a national level to change our culture of impunity. The title of the movie, The Hunting Ground. We're a little bit late, but for poetry this week, we post a poem called Epiphany. It's by the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. On Epiphany Day, we are still the people walking. We are still people in the dark, and the darkness looms large around us, beset as we are by fear, anxiety, brutality, violence, loss. A dozen alienations that we cannot manage. We are 
We could be people of your light. So we pray for the light of your glorious presence as we wait for your appearing. We pray for the light of your wondrous grace as we exhaust our coping capacity. We pray for your gift of newness that will override our weariness. We pray that we may see and know and hear and trust in your good rule, that we may have energy, courage, and freedom to enact your rule through the demands of this day. And so we submit our day to you and to your rule with deep joy and high hope. That poem is called Epiphany by Walter Brueggemann. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, January the 15th, 2017. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.